Welcome to another episode of Three Men and a War Game. I'm Paul, and I go through lots of surface primer. And I'm Kevin, and I'm painting all gold everything. And this is Potter, and I need more Primaris lieutenants. Doesn't oh, everybody no. need more Primaris we, lieutenants? That's all we need is more Primaris lieutenants because, guys, this is the Grim Darkening. The Warhammer, Uh-oh. The Warhammer 40k rule set is out. <laughs> oh, things shit. are grim. Things are dark. They're they're post no they're not post apocalyptic. I mean it might as well be. I, I mean it, it's it, as far as I'm concerned it's post apocalyptic. Things are I fascist. The news, there, there we go. <laughs> things are fascist. Things are very fascist in the forty the forty first millennium. That's right. Um, That's right. But yeah, we're doing this is this is the grim darkening, and we'll talk about forty uh, k this week, and we're going to talk about. Uh, a little little company off on the side here called One Page Rules next week, and we're talking about Grim Dark Future, so we can compare and contrast uh, Warhammer 40k with its uh, rules competitor, I guess, um, and just you know see what you know if you're looking at Citadel models and you like Citadel models like a lot of us do, what you might do with those models. We'll find out who is the Grim Darkiest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah the grim darkiest uh, but before we get into that hobby progress you guys it's actually been quite a while since we talked i know um, yeah it's been been a bit speaking of that before we get into hobby progress let's talk about back progress how are you feeling sir um all right yeah for listeners that don't know i um i pulled my back out doing nothing which i guess happens when you're in your late 30s um y'all it was, it was real bad um mm. so i was out of commission i couldn't paint for a while i couldn't really do anything other than sit in bed and play video games and sort of work so that was great <laughs> sounds like a tough life there yeah yeah except your back hurts and anytime you move everything hurts yeah, yeah it took it took a true. while to to start feeling better but i feel a lot better now so that's good, good. it's good. A, i mean it went from like the first couple days where i was like is this permanent is this my life now is my back just always gonna hurt <laughs> To like it gradually being better and being like, oh, thank God, that's not how my life is going to be now. Yeah, that's a, I think that's the scariest thing about back injuries is when you start thinking of, of seeing other people whose back hurts and you just start realizing how bad it actually feels. Oh, it's so oh, bad. I can imagine my mom just had back surgery. So, yeah. Oh. Yeah, I feel Dude, I it's, feel for it's it's debilitating. Like the first day when I couldn't even like lift my left leg up to get out of bed, I was like, "This is the fucking worst." Ugh, yeah, yeah. I'm 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 glad though that you have have improved, sir. Yeah, yes. much much better. I mean, I'm I'm not uh, I'm not doing stupid stuff like throwing my kid up in the air or anything right now, but <laughs> I can move around at like ninety five percent efficiency. 95% is good. Yeah. It's better than not 95%. Mm-hmm. Man, to be in our 20s again. To be young. Yeah. Not but have to I'll, worry about that. But I'll, uh, I'll get into hobby progress because I didn't have any for a long time. There was like, I mean, I, I think it was like nine or 10 days where I didn't even sit at the hobby desk because the idea of sitting down in the chair was just like, nope. Um, right. But I, I mean, because over my birthday, which is like, you know, two weeks ago now at this point. I was planning on painting a whole unit of uh, the sharks from Wrath of Kings uh, and also a whole unit of the, um, I don't know what they're called, shell crackers. And they're like dudes, like hermit crabs with big swords, uh, <laughs> for lack of a better description. 
I think um, I don't think you need a better description. I think that covers it. <laughs> and I didn't get those painted. Uh, I, did, I until recently this week. I did actually get the unit of sharks painted. Um, and also over the last couple days, I've got a couple uh, neuritic horrors painted. And if you've never seen this model, imagine the scariest thing that could you could possibly encounter in the deepest part of the ocean and then make it scarier uh, <laughs> and uglier. Um, and I got two of those and I painted them now and they're they're gross. I love them. They're, they're gross. They're so gross. Yeah, I was about to say those are those gross boys you be keep yeah. sending us, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're they're real gross. Um but Yeah, they're, they're, their head their heads like legitimately gross me out because I feel like they're are they is it like a, a hole? It's just where their head it's is? just three maws. Yeah, they're just yeah, like, like it just yeah. looks like a mouths. gaping maw. Yeah, that kind of stuff just grosses me out. And, they, like, and they've like got like patterns these, like that. Ugh. Yeah, they've got these like grasping tentacles too that services their like front arms that look like when they hold you, they just like secrete poison into you while these maws chew. They're just terrifying looking, ugh. man. They're they look awful. Uh, they are gross. Yeah, um, but I stand by my initial reaction. They are gross. Yeah, they're real gross. And I'm uh, <laughs> I'm working on the bases right now. I actually just finished painting the bases, so now I have to. Uh, waterize them i don't know put the water effects on to make them look deeper um and then i'll Mm -hmm. glue them onto the bases and they'll be done so i feel good about you know like seven models in the last 14 days it still feels or the last 20 days i guess it still feels pretty good not bad more than i've done so (laughs) (laughs) all right chris so what have you done hobby wise jack shit (laughs) i uh i took my kids i took my kids to their grandparents uh, for the summer, I spent some time in Tennessee, so obviously didn't hobby then. And then I've gotten back and did a little uh, staycation uh, hit from work. And I've literally done nothing but play video games and watch Westworld for a week. And it's been amazing. That sounds all right. Can we can we talk about how good Westworld season three is, though? Not spoilery, yeah. but like, yeah, oh, damn. Yeah. You know, the funny thing is, is I, I it, season one was so tough for me to get through. Like the first like eight episodes <laughs> of season one i'm like why does everybody like this show and then like the last two episodes kind of picked up and i kind of started seeing where the story was going season two for me was was the best even though season three is very good very good but i i really enjoyed season two i think the best um yeah i think they i think they they get they get better each season i think and i think i think the most stumbles were in season two but overall season two is better than season one yes um and season three is just Oh, it's so good. Oh, it's um, it's very good. It's Aaron Paul knocked it out of the park yeah, with his season three. Season three of Westworld and uh, the season of Watchmen are like enough reason to pay for HBO. Like if you don't have HBO Max, subscribe to watch those two shows. At least it is worth it. They're yeah. so good. I, I was debating. So it's now that I'm done with Watchmen or uh, uh, Westworld, it was either Watchmen or Ozarks was going to be my next. Oh, well, I was just going to say, Watchmen speaking of first. See, speaking of season threes, uh, Chops, how uh, how is Ozark? Dude, Ozark is nerve wracking. I uh, <laughs> like I've never I've never like experienced sweaty palms while watching a TV show before. <laughs> Oh, like, that's, that's a that's a reaction that i think normally only happens in real life like when i'm actually nervous about something right yep. but like i'll find myself clammy watching that show it's just nerve-wracking <laughs> yep it is it is amazing it is amazing yeah it's good so, 
So obviously, uh, we've been doing a lot of TV hobbying because I was like, like Kevin, I'm old and injured myself not doing anything as well. Um, except <laughs> mine's mine feels really old too because I'm like, hey, I hurt my hip. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so I was I was I was cranky about sitting in my hobby chair too. So I didn't get a whole lot done. Uh, but I did I did put my tiny dinos on bases. Sweet. And I'm almost done with my first uh, of two fracted drop troops that I'm working on for Infinity. Hell yeah. Nice. So, oh, those are the ones you put up on Instagram, right? Yeah. Yep. 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 I got one. One's got the uh, purple highlighted and shaded. Nice. Um, so at some point this weekend, I'm going to finish him up because the yellow won't take me long. And then uh, I'll finish up the other one. And then I'm going to start on the Shazvasti for the uh wildfire box because i'm going to try and play some infinity by myself and film it and put it up on youtube so there's maybe something kind of resembling a bat wrap up there dude yes so we'll see so that's 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 my hobby project is is hoping to end up with you know video content very nice now we now we now we like officially owe it to people because we've met a patreon goal mm-hmm yeah, I didn't think we'd I didn't think we'd ever make that. <laughs> so now I gotta uh, step up and make it happen. All right. Well, we'll have to get on that, I guess. Yeah. If this pandemic yeah. was not pan- as pandemic-y as it's been, we could have had yeah. some a while ago. Because um, yep. I've been set up for for porch wars and uh, my other idea for a while. Uh, but you know, times are tough. Yeah, <laughs> I've actually been the watching the face-to-face hobby world. I've actually been watching a lot of uh, YouTube videos about building terrain and getting some ideas. So actually, I was going to start probably doing that here soon to to do games with my kids. Dude, hell yeah. There you go. Hell yeah. And like, if you ever, if you wanted to start doing like role playing with your kids, like playing some Pathfinder D&D, Black Magic Craft has some really good videos about how to build like do-it-yourself dungeon tiles and pillars and like yep. a really good set of like basic modular D&D tools to start role playing. And that'd be a cool thing to do with the kiddos too. Like, especially if you started with a game like No Thank You Evil, where you can, like, run the gamut of the age groups and your kids. Pretty good stuff. Yeah, fortunately, I'm just not a big pen and paper uh, yeah. RPGer. I've, fair, I've, tried, I've tried a few times. I've done Star Wars. I've done several different uh, D&D campaigns over the years and def- different DMs, different groups. And just it's just... Doesn't it, stick. It doesn't stick. It's not for me. I, I'm a, Since I'm such a visual person, you know, it just... I it's for me it's just like I just go play a video game and I get way more visuals you know of for an RPG of of the combat and everything else in the worlds and it's just it's a bit, yeah video games are yeah it's just not a me thing I really appreciate people that are out there that do it and love it you know I'm glad that that is out there for those people just not for me fair enough you might like awesome. Rangers of Shadow Deep though we'll talk about that on a show and offline that might be more for you anyway um, or the new Skyrim miniatures game. But, yeah. uh, Paul and I were looking at that. That's definitely something. I, the I think ver- is it's so much like I think the the dungeon delving stuff like Skyrim and I think uh, was it this uh, Descent. Um, mm-hmm. Like those interest me a little bit more. Now I've never played them, so I don't know. Uh, but being that I really enjoyed Hero Quest as a kid, and I've enjoyed what I saw of Silver Tower, being that it's basically Hero Quest of the current day. Uh, those kind of things I enjoy, like the board game dungeon delving kind of aspects, I do enjoy. So I would probably like that a little bit more. I smell an episode brewing. I'm actually taking yep. notes. Um, 
<laughs> I like but, it. Uh, I've, I've, got, I've got that core box and and one expansion of Descent, so yeah, I'll bring got, it over. I've and got we'll, some uh, other things too. We'll play. Yeah, I've got some other things in mind, but we'll talk about. We'll, we'll save that for another episode, so we Sounds can get, we can get into the grim darkening here. Yeah, let's start let's talking about our grims. All right, so what we're gonna do, um, I, and I think for these these couple episodes, we're gonna talk about the rules that are freely available, and then once the games release, maybe we'll come back and we'll talk about the paid rules. So the paid rule book for 40k ninth edition and the paid rule book for grimdark future and um, i know we normally don't spend like multiple episodes on a single game like this in a row but it's 40k it's 40k right. and it's the it's the launch of a brand new edition right so yes um, fairly significant yeah boy that was really hard for me to not start stepping into vanilla ice there um <laughs> the uh why because we're stopping collaborating oh stop it stop it uh, so 40k, uh, ninth edition is what we're talking about. We're going to talk about the free rules. Uh, the format of this too, we have, I, I want to just get it right off the bat. Like we did the last time we talked about 40k, the three of us are not 40k experts. Um, mm. we don't, I, I've, I played two games of eighth edition back when the indexes were out and then I, I was the fuck out of that system. Um, so where we're coming at this from is we're going to be basically live reacting to these rules. Cause we just got them. Um, we just got the rules for ninth. We're going to be paging through the PDF. We'll tell you where we are in the rule book and we'll, we'll be reading some things and reacting to those rules as we go. Um, we're not going to cover it in super great detail, just basic, basically things that jump out at us that are interesting or not interesting. And then we'll go over our final thoughts after we peruse through uh, and I'm sure we're going to miss stuff and I'm sure we're going to get some of our impressions at the end wrong. So, you know, don't hold it against us too much. Yeah. Just, just, you know, if, if, if there's any problems, we'll just, you know, solve it later. Just blame Paul. God damn it, Paul. I (laughs) I wish I hadn't said it. Uh, Uh, at least You're you didn't say worst. something like DJ resolve resolves it. Anyway, uh, let's talk about 40 I was just going to say, Cold we're rules. back with a brand new invention. Oh my God, stop. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I hate you guys. So, sometimes 40K just grabs hold of you tightly. <laughs> <laughs> so here we go. 40K, free rules. I'm just going to keep plowing on as if Paul doesn't exist. Um, Thank you. First thing to talk about, the basic core rules that are free online now are 25 pages. Um... Up from eight. That's a significant increase. So if you can do some math, that's a few more pages. Just a couple more. Um, Yeah. Will it ever stop? Yo, I don't know. God damn it. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, 25 pages, starting with uh, what I think is actually... One of the cooler things, like, you know, we, we say we didn't really read this very much and we didn't, right? We didn't do a ton of reading, but I think we've all skimmed through here. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the rule book starts with a rules key, uh, which is just, it's a full splash page that explains to you the way that the rules are written in the book. And a thing that I really appreciate about this rule book is that you can get the spirit of the rules through skimming the rules because they call out boxes that have these little uh, bullet points that are bulleted by red boxes and those red boxes get you the spirit of every rule. Uh, yep. And then there are paragraphs of text that get into the legalese of the rules so that when you have 
situations arise in the game where you need more clarification, you can go to those more verbose areas of text. But in all honesty, the red squares get you 90% of the way there. Yeah, I think I was watching uh, Uncle Adam's video um, on Tabletop Miniatures, and I think what he had in this for what these red boxes are doing, I think is, I think he hit the point. These red boxes help the arguments of rules as intended and rules as as written. Mm-hmm. This very well, these red boxes very well clarify the intention as, as the intention. Rules. Yes, yeah. so mm-hmm. I, I think hopefully what their intent with these is is in the future. There will not be any more of these 40k arguments of, well, the rule says this, so, but it, but the way I interpret it is, it means this. So there's no more of that intent versus written arguments anymore. Yeah. And, and, and basically what it does is, I mean, the, the red boxes in and of themselves, I feel like if you just read those, you can play the game. Yes. Ba- yeah. Basically. But the, but right. the, the, the more complex paragraphs is where you get into you know it's it's written it's it's literally written lawyerly for rules lawyer type people yeah i think they're to to try and knock out every possible misinterpretation um but then if you're if you're not if you're if you don't need it to be that in depth for what you're doing you have the red check boxes to be able to look at and and play from those i think those red check boxes are, are definitely intended for people like me that just want to know tell me how to play the game and let me play Right. And I don't want to sit and read for two hours. If you think about the way that the human brain works, at least for me, right? And I think not, not obviously not everybody's brain in, in terms of like how they digest text works the same. But I think on the whole, for most people that I've met, right, that are effective skimmers, um, it's easy to find rules as you're moving through something quickly if something jumps out at you. And right. these things anchor your eyes to specific areas on pages. And I think that if you had these printed out, it would make it very easy to find the rule you were looking for Mm -hmm. by looking for these boxes and looking for the words and things that are specific to what you need. So I, in my opinion, this is like a big plus for this rule book. I am a big fan of the way that they've formatted it. Yeah. And, and, and how, and how they released initial spoilers, they were, you couldn't necessarily see that that's how the rule book was going to function. Yeah, because it was right. just the verbose stuff. Right. Yeah, and then at, then at like the bottom of the article, some of them had the 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 red boxed version of it, and it's like, all right, well, here, okay, so they're summarizing it. Is this for the article? Is is this in the book, or do I have to deal with this ridiculous description of being in terrain? Right, yeah. but but the the reality is that you you do need to do both. Um, but in general, the red boxes will get you the intent and most of what you need. Right. Yeah. And so from a formatting perspective, you know, going from eighth to ninth verses, I will say, since we're on, you know, page two, we're on on page two where we're just talking about the rules formatting. I appreciate that in this edition, they didn't do what they did in eighths rule set where they had these side boxes on the side that explained a rule that was mentioned like three pages beforehand. Right, exactly. It's those like side. Putting, there are like the, an end of chapter summary. Right, those and those side boxes it, are still here. It's like putting the initiative rules in a call out box on the bottom right hand side of a page. Weird. Right. Yeah. And so those, those, call, those, call out, those call out boxes still, still exist in in this edition, but they're 
they're put in the place where they need to be with the rule set that they're explaining. So like if it's a call out box for shooting, it's with the shooting rules. If it's a call out box for charging, it's in the charging or right, movement right, rules. Right. Like, no, it's, it's, it's really not, smartly done. I agree. Right. It, it's, it's, it's so much better. Cause I know that there was some confusion when eighth edition first came out because like people were talking about, well, that rule doesn't exist because it's not here. And I'm like, no, it's here, but it's like, you know, in the leaflet that you're looking at, it's on the backside of the leaflet uh you know in this area with like psychic powers but it has nothing to do with psychic powers yeah no this this rule books uh having skimmed through the whole thing it's it's very it's it's it is very well organized um yeah. i will say and if there is an index available for it in the big rule book then i'll give these guys a, a big clap and pat on the back for probably one of the better formatted rule books that i've read i do know that the big rule book is 370 some odd pages right, and but 25. a lot of that's lore right this eighth the eighth ed the 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 eighth ed book is like four hundred something pages and eight pages of core rules right so there's just like a shitload of fluff yeah from what I understand it's mostly pictures actually but which is great um, I, I mean yeah. who, the, the best I mean honestly the best thing about forty k is the universe right so right. get me in there let me see all them pretty pictures yeah yep. that's what we want to see right John Blanche sold me Warhammer forty thousand so I want to see the the stuff that's grim and dark and ugly and gross and cool and fascinating, right? The thing that yep. makes 40 K 40 K is the, the head cannon. Mm-hmm. Um, so getting those visuals, like I, I, that's, I'll buy this rule book because I want the artwork yep, uh, and the I lore agree. that's inside of it. I mean, that's why I still have my fourth edition apocalypse book is because I love looking at the pictures. Oh man. Right. Fourth edition's rule book was probably one of the best in terms of artwork. If I remember correctly, I just loved it. Cool. All right. So yeah, that's uh, when like Adrian Smith was doing art, man. Yeah. Phew, that's good stuff. Anyway, um, moving on to page three and we won't spend that much time on every page. Right. Um, so page three is where they start to break down the basic rules where they talk about like what a mission is, what an army is, what data sheets are, what keywords mean. Um, I don't know that anything stood out to me specifically on this page. Like this is actually very similar to the basic rules page in eighth edition. There's not a whole lot of changes. One thing that did stand out to me though, is the keyword rules and that it says, uh, some units can include models that have different keywords while a unit has models with different keywords. It is considered to have all the keywords of its models. Um, that's interesting to me. Yep. Because that means but, that, like, you you basically inherit the keywords of the models that you're in your unit. Yeah, and with and with having having commanders being able to come in and out of uh, different units, assuming that's still a possibility, uh, that could get interesting. Yeah, with some cool buffs and stuff. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I I, I yep. don't know that that's how eighth works. It might be, um, but I just thought, I, no, I'm saying I I don't know if that's a change from eighth. Oh to oh yeah yeah. It's changed to our knowledge. Yeah, but that's um, it's really interesting um, that that's how that works, uh, and it makes like the way that buffing and abilities and things like that work um, pretty interesting. Like in at least in terms of like list building, I feel like that could keep things pretty spicy. Yep. So I like that. Um, did you guys have anything else that was on page three that you wanted to hit on? I don't think so. I think that's the probably the biggest call out quote-unquote difference from eighth yeah so then let's move on to to page four where probably one of the biggest changes in ninth edition exists yeah let's talk yeah uh if you want to kick us off paul you know what i'm talking about that's on page four here yeah um that would be units no that is unit coherency Uh uh-huh um man i missed a chance to say yo i'll kick it damn (sighs) (laughs) <laughs> but yes, unit coherency. Um, 
and and there's some there's some additions to it and and a few changes. Uh, right off the bat, now unicoherence is coherency is two inches horizontally, five inches vertically, which is about so the same. Mm-hmm. Right, but they're they're throwing that in there, so now you're also worried about height, right? And I, I, I maybe that was that a was thing an eighth. The this, edition, this, was it? Okay, two, two five I think is almost identical to eighth edition. But, okay, cool. But, but, but good because because I I guess I don't play with second floor as much. Mm-hmm. Um, so the other the other major major change, mm-hmm. right? If your unit is five or less models, I guess this isn't the change. This is a stay the same. If your unit is five or less models, you have to be within two inches of another model from your unit to be in coherency. Mm-hmm. If you model. have six or more, you have to be within two inches of two other models from your own unit, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which is a major, 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 major change. Yes. Fuck your conga line. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you yeah. can't have. Get rid of that wagon wheel. Yeah. You can't have 90 cultists draped across the entire surface of the table anymore. Which was right. dumb Which is to huge. begin with. You can't be jamming up deployment zones and all kinds of stuff the way that you used to be able to. Yeah. Basically yep. negating a whole mechanic of the game. Well, I mean, an intended mechanic? Maybe not, right? Like, I think that was people abusing the old... Oh, tools. I agree, but they were basically, they're going, I'm going to create conga lines so people can't deep strike or, you know, uh, or bring in units from stealth onto the battlefield. Yeah, and I think that was a that was a thing that Games Workshop straight up overlooked. I don't think that uh-huh. went, when they wrote the rules for 8th edition, they weren't thinking that, that that was the thing that the people were going to do, right? That was an unintended consequence of the simple rules. Yep. Yep, um, yep. Not that this is that much more complicated. It's just a very smart way to stop extreme abuse of the rules. It, it brings, if, if I remember correctly from back when I played in 4th edition, it brings the coherency back into more of what 4th edition coherency used to be. And the way it, it should be. Right. Because if I remember, because that's how it was back then. And yeah, it, it should be where your, you know, your squad is, your squad. And it's not just. Yeah, like you said, ninety cultists from table edge to table edge, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and we'll yep. do we'll do contrasting next week when we talk about grim dark future. But you know, they both have their own ways of of handling this, and I th- I think this is much better than it was in eighth. Yeah, taking taking out that ability for for one unit to just stretch across the table or stretch out in multiple directions is uh, super helpful, yeah. super good. It's a, it's a it's a good positive change, especially with I guess something we'll get onto later attached to that. Yeah, mechanic. Yep, definitely. Um, another thing I like is that in the in the battlefield section, they call out they they basically say we recommend having one terrain feature for every twelve by twelve yep. area. Um, mm-hmm. So they give you you know that you know they're saying you should ha- you should have at least six real big areas of terrain, right? right. Um, so that's pretty cool. And actually, yeah, one foot by one foot, that's a lot more than six. That's a lot of terrain features. Like they, 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 have, but I, I like that they've defined um, that there should be lots of places to hide and move your models in for yeah. now. And, and being that ninth edition, we'll get into it as we go through the rules. Terrain is a lot more impactful than what it was in eighth edition. It needs to be because it was uh, played yeah, on a flat table. Yeah, basically, yeah. Last time it was terrain was just plus one to your armor and you're good to go. That was it. So. Which I think is a stark contrast to what Age of Sigmar has always been, because Age of Sigmar has always had impactful terrain, because terrain could do different things within the game, which I like. Right. So now they're saying that it's twenty-four pieces of terrain is what they're right. suggesting you have, right? 
So that's that's pretty cool. I think it's, it sounds like a lot, but I think that the game will be better for it, especially mm-hmm. since there are more terrain rules in the game in general. Yep. Um. Cool. So that's page four. Um. Page five. You guys. Uh. Not a lot in here. I think what they're talking about on page five is measuring distances within holy within dice and rerolls. Um, and that's like, in terms of a person who's just getting, getting into the hobby, um, this is one of the pages that I actually, I read this thoroughly before we started because I wanted to see how they wrote this. And it's, it's written very well for like your, 11 year old kid that's working in walking into a games workshop store for the first time and seeing the models to really define all these things that we take for granted, right? Like we have all of this sort of incremental knowledge that we've got from a career of playing these games. Mm -hmm. Um, But these rules are succinct and really good at um, describing how dice are used, how measurement is made and the difference between within and wholly within. Yep. No, I agree. There's not much that's different, and again, I haven't read them, but looking at the the red check boxes, I think they do a good job of explaining it just by doing the skim of the red boxes. Yeah, and and even on the next page, so I mean, we can move on from page five to page six, and on the next page, they even talk about hints and tips for dice rolling, and you're like, what is what the hell are you talking about? You just grab dice and roll them, but they're talking about the etiquette for like what happens if you roll a crooked dice or a dice rolls off the table. Does that count as being rolled? Does it not count as being rolled? It like literally spells that out for you. Um, and while, you know, people that have been playing for years and years don't necessarily need that kind of clarification, I think it really helps the, the burgeoning hobbyist, Mm -hmm. the person who's like just getting into this, um, just to have that kind of clarification, like, even though it's somewhat unnecessary to have it, like the, the rule book wouldn't be any worse, I think for not having it, but it's vastly improved by having it, if that makes sense. Yep. No, I agree. Uh, cool. So you guys, anything else do you see for pages uh, five and six that you wanted to talk about? Um, I mean, oh, six, actually, yes. Go, go yeah, ahead. The, the starting strengths and half uh, half strengths and you destroyed. Like, again, having that there on page six, uh, helping people understand what those terms mean and being very spelled out, I think helps as well, too. Um, and, and making sure it's not it's very clear of like what below half strength is and, and things like that. Um and I, I like that for new even, for new players. Was that in the, I don't the eighth think edition? So. Was like below half strength a thing in, in eighth? I don't even know if it was. I'm sure it was. Uh, I like you didn't play much after the beginning of eighth edition, so I'm not <laughs> sure if this if this something like this came in later on with your know, new core rules that came into the game or or expansions. I'm not sure. Right on. I just like that it very specific, very specifically specifies that you have to be below half strength. Yeah, below you know, like I feel like before it was like, half. yeah, or 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 even just half strength. Yeah, I mean, I remember in previous editions of 40k, like below half strength definitely really came into play for the your morale checks and, and things like that. Um, so I'm not sure if as we get into the morale area of this rulebook, if that will come into play. All right, so let's talk about the next thing, and that's the data sheets, huh? Yeah. So uh, a thing that they've introduced here, so if you if you played 8th edition at all, then you're very familiar with a data sheet. A data sheet is just like the 
the table included with every unit or model in 40k that explains what that unit or model does what its core attributes are what its special abilities are what its keywords are all those things are mm-hmm. included here and, and their battlefield role right whether they're infantry or transport or heavy or whatever or support all of that stuff is included on the data sheet but the big change from 8th edition to 9th edition is now that they, ha- they have condensed data sheets Right. So now there are data sheets that are significantly smaller and they use iconography rather than words so that they can get a lot more into smaller spaces yep. and, and they can make data sheets that are language independent. Yep. Right. Yeah. Cause they, they even have the, the name of the unit in multiple languages at the top. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm too old for this because I'll, uh, it would take me like months of playing to remember what all the icons mean. I mean, I think you'd get you'd get it pretty quick because they're they're all actually in the same spaces. <laughs> so like, right? I it, mean, you know, you're used to like looking to a specific place on a data sheet. It's in the same spot. So get off my lawn, Kevin. I want to hate it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think and I think the the images that they chose are you know they pretty. They're good they, they yeah. Fit. yeah no they they definitely they definitely make sense i'm yeah. just I, I am just kind of teasing on it i i do think it's a, a good idea um just because you know it is 40k so you're likely to have a whole bunch of stuff on the table and uh with even more terrain then that's 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 more places that you have to put stuff so a a condensed uh card is probably a good idea yeah because yeah, i mean i've always good. really liked the, the data sheets for age of sigma i know that they they produced them too in eighth edition but um, you know, hopefully having these simpler ones that will be smaller and easier to put on there so you're not pulling up, you know, your, your 50-page rule book every five seconds helps, I think. I also like uh, the call-outs on this page. So we're looking at page eight now, um, is the data sheet page. Um, well, we were talking about seven and eight, but I'm specifically looking at eight. Um, and I like the, the specifically the call-outs here. So specifying that modifiers happen in division, multiplication, addition, subtraction, but most importantly that the characteristics of dash can never be modified. Um, I feel like that's a very good thing to include because there are like fearless models, right? And the way that they, the way that you illustrate something is fearless is by making its leadership a dash. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and it, I like that it, it notes that those can't be, modified because that that's just it's what it is is that they are taking care of space that could be interpreted and now they're making it non-interpretable right it just is Mm -hmm. what it is Mm -hmm. um so i like that sort of clarification i think that may be like that in eighth too right but i it's just it's a thing that's that jumped out to me as i was looking through here i'm i'm so i'm 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 gonna just jump back one second kev um Mm -hmm. They they really they in all honesty they really did a good job of making those condensed data sheets easy to understand. Yep. Yeah. 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 Oh yeah. I mean, now that you're looking at it, right? You're like, wow, this yep. is actually really great. Yeah. 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 Like it, it's actually pretty shocking at how well they got your your weapon types and ammo types and uh, just all of that in there because you you know you look at it and and I mean you have to you have to know the rules a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, like they're not called out like they are on the on the regular one specifically for each weapon but once you're playing a few times and you start memorizing that stuff anyway yep 
Yeah. Yeah. That makes it everything else easier to find. I mean, yeah, they, they call out all their, their abilities, you know, your different warrior options for the unit. Yeah. Um, it's you know, it's they, pretty amazing. And all the, you know, all the rules for all the war gear options that the unit can take. Um, it, yeah, it, they've, they've did a really good job. I, I think that's something that Games Workshop's been getting better as a whole, you know, the past, you know, probably maybe eight, five, eight years um, as they've grown as a company. They, they've done a really good job with this, with both 40K and Sigmar. And this is actually yeah. a place. Come where, on, Corvus Belly. Yeah. Right. Yeah, really. Please give me this for Infinity. I think also a thing that we're not doing right now, too, is we're not actually talking about the mechanics of the game as much as we typically do when we introduce a game. And I think maybe we can do that a little bit here. Um, so the data sheets, right? And actually, like, how do you play 40K, right? We haven't actually gotten to some of the, the parts that are coming in the rule book, but right, this is an alt this is not an alternating activation game. This is an I go you go game. They did not change that. Uh, it's still, I activate all my shit in a specific order and you activate all your shit in a specific order. Um, and the way that models work in this game, uh, is that they have a core set of characteristics, move, weapon skill, ballistic skill, strength, toughness, wounds, attacks, leadership, and a save value. And that's basically been the same since fourth edition, right? Like Mm -hmm. these stats and names and terminology haven't changed much. And the reason I'm bringing this up is we, I think we were taking it for granted for the first couple minutes we were talking about the game. Um, but those are the levers that that Games Workshop pushes and pulls on in this game. So your move value, how far you move, your weapon skills, how good you are in melee, ballistic skill, how well you shoot, uh, strength and toughness are how easy it is for you to wound or be wounded once you've been hit. Uh, wounds is how much you can take before you die. Attacks are how many swings you get in melee. Uh and in the contrast to that, weapons are defined per weapon rather than per person. Mm-hmm. Um, and then leadership, which is for morale and save value, which is what you need to roll to save against a potential wound. Yep. I just wanted to bring all that up. Yeah. And then underneath, yeah. and underneath those, you have all your, your weapons, which have all your modifiers for those rules that are up above. So, you know, if you have something like a, uh, a power fist, you know, a power fist would have a, a thing where it would show its strength, and its strength is either user or it would be a modifier. And, you know, in the sense of a uh, of a power fist, it's you know, I think it's strength times two, user times two, yeah, right, so, user times two, yeah. So it'd be whatever your strength value is on a you know on a standard person, strength is typically three. So and and on a marine, right, I think it's four. So Correct. it would be strength eight for a power fist on a Correct. marine, as an example. Yeah, yep. and it has all the modifiers in terms of that with that they would you need to do and any special rules that those weapons have to. So it, and it's all laid out in one little sheet underneath and it shows you all that. So once you do get that core understanding of how the rules work, these these weapon profiles and these modifiers and these abilities, they they will are easier for you to understand because now you have that core rule and they're written in such a way for you to understand. Yeah. And they, you know, they do a lot of things too. Like the, these data sheets also tell you how many units are, or how many models are in a unit. Mm -hmm. uh, And then what those, what the weapons that are possible for that unit to carry do. Right. Yep. No, it's Uh, this, they did a good job. It's very well laid out. And and to be fair to this game, um, that's where the, just an immense amount of depth comes from in this game. Like these rules, as you read them, they're not very hard to, interpret and play um the depth all comes from what's contained on these data sheets just like any other game right most of the games we play the depth comes from like what the different models can actually do and what their battlefield roles are Mm -hmm. cool um did you have anything paul else you wanted to add before we move on to the battle round 
No, I'm good. Let's go. Okay. Let's do it. All right. So the battle round, we'll talk about this. I think um, it's basically um, pretty similar to 8th edition, uh, enough that I can't spot the difference. Um, so you've got your command phase. So basically, again, we said I just said it. It's I go, you go. So I activate my entire army, do all my stuff. You go, you activate your entire army, do all your stuff. What does that look like? So you have seven phases to your turn. Uh, so you do the command phase, the movement phase, the shooting phase, the charge phase, which is just you. At this point, you are the person doing stuff. Like it's your turn. Only you do stuff. And then you get into the back half of the turn, which is the fight phase and the morale phase. <clears throat> and in both those phases, both players do stuff. And then once your turn ends and you've gone through your morale phase and you and your opponent have done their morale tests, then it moves on to your opponent's turn and they start at the top of their command phase. Um, and that's the structure of a turn in 40k. And now what the rules do is they break down each of those phases. So we should just hit on them briefly because, you know, I do want to give you a sense of how the game plays. So when we contrast it next week with Grimdark Future, there's actually some decisions that you can make about which game sounds cooler to you. Um, despite what our preferences might be, right? Um, what we do. All right. So the command phase, there's a thing we haven't talked about in the game yet because we haven't gotten to it in the rule book. Uh, and what they, one thing that they, they introduced in eighth edition, and that's the concept of command points. Um, and so the way command points work is you're given a specific number of command points based on your army composition and they actually get into how that exactly works lower in the rule book but in the command phase you gain an additional command point on top of the command points you entered the battle with at the beginning of each turn which is taking a rule from age of sigmar because i believe this is different from uh eighth edition i think eighth edition you just Mm -hmm. got your command points and that was it that was the pool you had for the whole game Mm -hmm. Um, yes and in ninth now, you gain one command point per turn. So that's new and cool, I think, because command points are cool. Uh, every army has, I don't know, 15 to 40 of these things. Um, and they all do very cool stuff. And where a lot of the flavor comes in 40K from the data sheets, specific armies um, command their, what are the stratagems? That's what they're Correct. called, right? Stratagems, their yep. mm-hmm. Stratagems that you purchase with the command points are... Uh, another half of the flavor and if you get into it like every chapter of space marine has its own set of these right so there's like the sort of the like chapter astartes simple marine stratagems that all the marine chapters get but then like ultramarines have their own salamanders have their own right raven guard have their own like all of them have their own so that's pretty cool uh and it allows uh, it's 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 like another level lever sorry that games workshop can pull on to make each army feel different and then it also gives you another resource to manage right so or it's it's really the primary resource resource you manage in this game uh, outside of your models themselves is your command points Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that is true cool so that's the command phase uh and that again that's that's new right i think that's actually that that is the difference between eighth and ninth is the command phase you actually gain command points here yes cool so uh the movement phase um did you guys see anything in here that that struck you as different from eighth ed otherwise we'll just talk about what sort of it the movement phase is no, I don't think anything's too 
different that I can that I can see off the top of my head. Cool. So in 40k, you have your basic movement phase and every one of your units can move, right? Right. Um, You're not moving and shooting. You're just, just moving. moving. The first right. phase is all your movement. So all the movement you're going to do across your entire army, you do in your movement phase. And it's important that you do this, right? Because like you're, the rest of your turn can be dictated by how you move in this phase. Mm -hmm. um, and basically the way it breaks down is you select a unit and then you select whether or not it's going to move normally, advance or remain stationary. And then that's that, right? And then you select another, another unit and you move and you move and you move. Uh, and you, once you've done all your movements, then you move on to the next step. Yep. So your main difference is uh, stationary. Hey, that's pretty simple, right? Don't move. Right. Um, and why would you stay stationary? Uh, it doesn't explain that in the book, but this is one of those things that you would understand through starting to read your unit cards in that um, units with heavy weapons, um, if they move, they suffer penalties to the shooting it, phase. One key change for ninth edition that affects only infantry that doesn't affect any of your yeah, tanks. Yeah, tanks. It's infantry but, only. But infant but but like a a dude bro with a rocket launcher, if they move and shoot, they will be at a penalty because they're heavy. Right. They have heavy it, weapons. And some units may have special rules that allow them to do different things if they stay stationary. Like aggressors uh can shoot twice if they um, state stationary that turn so that basically they get double the amount of shots and they've already got an insane amount of shots for three dudes anyways right so but again that's why you might remain stationary right. it also might be that you are able to shoot at your opponent but your opponent has to maybe advance to be able to get into your range right you might have a range superiority that you don't want to fuck with right so you stay put and shoot um, um so then you have oh go ahead uh, the only thing I was going to say is the, in addition to what you can do in the movement phases, we have uh, on page uh, 11, you have your reinforcements and that happens in the movement phase as well, too. We'll, so this we'll, is. Yeah, we'll get reinforcements is actually the yeah. second phase. Now we'll get we'll get to the reinforcement phase. I thought it happened in the movement phase. Nope, it's a, it's a new phase now. It's a, it's, a, it's like a yeah, it's a sub. It's it's in the movement phase, but it's its own thing, yeah. right? Like yeah. the movement phase is broken up into gotcha. move units, reinforcements. and then reinforcements. Gotcha, gotcha. Yep. gotcha. Yep. I was um, reading ahead. My apologies. Got it. Got it. No, you're fine. Um, so if we go back to um, and sorry, I'm scrolling back up to the page we were on, the movement page, which is page ten. Um, you also have your, so you have your, your other moves, which are normal move, advance, and fall back, right? So normal move is you move your move value. That's pretty simple. Advance is you roll a D6 and you move your movement plus the value on the D6. Uh, also worth noting that you can't advance into the engagement range of an enemy. You can't move into the engagement range of an enemy, period. Um, not in this phase. And also models that advance can't shoot or charge. So if you take that advance maneuver, you're not able to charge later or shoot later, unless you've got rules that say you can. Correct. Um, and then you can fall back, which is falling back your movement value. And again, just like, just like, uh, advancing, if you fall back, you can't shoot or charge. Um, unless you're Titanic, which is called out and that's like a giant unit, a Titan. Uh, and then did you want to go over reinforcements? Cause that's the next part. Chris. Yeah, uh, so reinforcements is, uh, is I guess, as you guys said, a subset of the rules. So this is where you would bring in units that have 
uh, the ability to come in, you know, if they like deploy from cover, like your scout units, um, you know, space Marines have drop pods. Um, so they would, uh, you know, you could bring those reinforcements in during that time period. Uh, so this is the phase where you'll, you'll bring them in. Uh, I don't, uh, flyers is another one. Uh, I think now that's been added to this, uh, phase because now flying models are allowed to move off the table edge, uh, whereas they weren't before. And then they can come back in during a reinforcement phase, which right. they that, become, they become a reinforcement when they go off the table. Right. Which I think, you know, is, is a lot better um and allows i think i think this is going to allow people to actually use flyers in a more meaningful way um for what they probably were intended to to be to begin with so i think i think that's the biggest change i think for the reinforcements outside of it being now of its own subset of rules i think that's pretty much the the biggest change i, I can see yeah you do all your normal movement and then you do your reinforcement stuff right and the reason is, is that your reinforcement units can't make a normal move advance, fall back, or remain stationary the turn that they move, the turn that they come on. But they can do everything else otherwise, right? So that's why it's sort of called out in its second, it's like a subset movement. So let me let me ask you something. I'm just I'm just thinking about this. Mm-hmm. Uh, and maybe this is something that came up, but I, I haven't looked at it yet. If If you're scoring, say, like, just straight up victory points, and your flyer is in trouble... And you fly them off the table, and you're going second, and you bring them back on out of reinforcement in turn five. Now you're not losing them. Hmm. That could be an interesting uh, yeah, dynamic if, and I if, guess, there's, if there's rules for that. And that's one of those things listeners correct us on Discord uh, right. if, if you know more than we do. Because we're, I mean, we're, we're basically... This is literally speculation on yeah, my part right, just of understanding right. of how games generally score things. No, but that's, that is actually a pretty interesting point. Um, so the next thing is it starts to get into some advanced rules about movement, like transports. So a cool thing about 40K is you have like tanks that you can put dudes in and ship and planes that you can put dudes in. Um, and as you move across the map, you can get dudes off, which is pretty cool. Yep. <laughs> there's, there's lots of like dude movement in your... Uh, are you five? Yeah, man. I mean, Paul's five. <laughs> That's what I meant. It was Paul? He's back there snickering. He's in, you got something he's, to say, Paul? He's in seventh nope. grade again. <laughs> nope. I'm good. Keep going. All right. Um, but I mean, that's I guess now that I've lost my train of thought, that's really all I had to talk about with transports is that you're able to load and unload models uh, and protect models because very very often your transports are more heavily armored or faster than the models that you're trying to get onto the table. Um, And there are rules that say things like if your transport gets destroyed, it it kills people on the inside. So you have to be pretty careful about that. And I I think, um, and I'm glad they carry this over um, from 8th and 9th. And, you know, in 8th, they introduced the rule that when vehicles or, you know, tanks or, you know, dreadnoughts and things like that, when they basically die, they explode, which I really like, and that they've carried that over uh, into this into ninth edition as well. So I'm glad that's a rule that came with. Yeah, so I'll tell you my one of my games of eighth edition 40k that I played uh, back when only the indexes were available. I was playing Gene Steeler Cults against, uh, and I was playing Gene Steeler Cults against Blood Angels, and he had a Rhino uh, that had a bunch of Marines in it, and I charged it 
with a bunch of pure strain gene stealers that basically deep struck in on his side of the board. And it was glorious because it exploded, right? And it killed most of my gene stealers. And he had like, he had the whole unit in there. So it was like, you know, 10 tack Marines or whatever. And I, I remember rolling the dice, him rolling the dice and being like one on the first roll and being like, well, that's unlucky. That guy's dead. And then it was like one, 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 the first six rolls. <laughs> I was oh, just no. like, Jeez. yes. <laughs> anyway, uh, and that's the same rule here. So like if your transport gets destroyed, you roll a D6 for each model it's getting off. And every one, the guy's dead. So that's mm. pretty cool. Yeah, that's pretty brutal. That can that can that can make things go go bad quickly. Yeah. Um, but now we go into aircrafts. So we can talk about the flyers that you guys are mentioning. So this is page uh, I think eleven. 12 13 13, 13. oh no, i'm looking at transports i'm sorry yes aircraft yep 13 so we can talk about that aircraft thing so aircrafts now have a minimum move value they might have had that before um but aircrafts yep. must move their minimum um and if it can't make its minimum then it's destroyed unless you're using strategic reserves which is what paul was talking about where they can fly off the table um, and then they talk about aircraft engagement ranges, which is saying that uh, models can't move within an aircraft's engagement range. Uh, you can't move over them. Um, they can make normal move or advances, even if they're within range, engagement range of enemies saying they can, basically they can fly over enemies. Right. Um, yeah. So that's flying, flying models. Pretty cool. And it makes sense too, that flying models have a minimum movement. Right. Yep. And, uh, even if they're in, engaged by another uh enemy unit they can they can still they can leave fly. they can leave which totally makes sense yep mm -hmm. all right so then we get to the next phase of the game which is the psychic phase um which is another big I didn't um, see that coming nope mm -mm. uh so for anybody who doesn't know 40k and you're you've never actually played it in the the grim darkness of the 40 41st millennium there's a lot of darth faders um a lot of people can do magic. Um, and this is where that, that psycher, psychic stuff, I mean, this is the magic of 40K. Um, so in your magic phase, you do magic stuff. I don't know what else to say about it. <laughs> uh, on your data sheets for your models, you'll have the, the magic things, the psychic powers that your models have. Uh, and you, each of your psychic, each of your psychers is able to attempt to manifest psychic powers in your psychic phase. Um, and so that's that. So you cast all your magic. Uh, yeah. I want, I do want to note that it, as something that kept from eighth edition is that all psychers can do smite. They didn't change that. Um, and then you'll know additional psychic powers based on what's on their data sheets. So right. that, and smite is a, as a power that basically is just saying, um, you roll the dice. And if you roll a specific number of, if you roll the right amount of dice, you do, um, unsavable wounds. If right. you roll the right value. And you still have the ability to cancel out a magic spell from, from your opponent as well. Did we say that? No, what was it? No, peril. So you have Deny the Witch, which... Deny the Witch? So other enemy psychers can basically a attempt to stop you from casting your spells. Oh, and it's actually, you can only do one. You can only, ha you can only select one eligible psyker. Right. Um, I was thinking about Grey Knights, where they can just all smite, because they don't have that restriction. Correct. 
Um, but yeah, so you select one. This is what I get for only reading some rules. Um, but yeah, you select <laughs> one psyker and you get to go. So right. it's not everybody. You just get one spell. And then, yeah, as Paul said, you have your people that can deny the witch, which is basically you trying to roll over the value that your opponent has rolled. Yep. Um, so yeah, so that's deny the witch. Uh, another thing to talk about, um, one of my favorite things is there's a little bit of risk and reward with the magic here in that all magic and all psychic power in 40 K is tied to the warp, which is the scary place that chaos comes from. If you've ever seen event horizon, uh, that scary shit that happens in event horizon, that's the warp. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and the way that that manifests in, in gameplay is that if you roll snake eyes or boxcars, then you suffer what's called perils of the warp and you take some damage. Yeah, which it can be bad. It can be yeah, bad. It can straight up definitely. kill you. Like it, you can you basically take D3 unsavable wounds and a lot of psychers have between one and three wounds. So, yeah. And then you if just, you, you can just straight up splatter your brain. Yeah, and then if you splatter your magic, and if you splatter your brain, then you're risking all your buddies that are around you getting exploded as well too from your power just going crazy and exploding. That's correct. Because if your psyker gets destroyed, then every model within six inches also suffers those same brain exploding wounds. Right. And if most models on the game have one wound, they're going to die no matter what. Yes. So that's the psychic phase. Um, which is a pretty spicy phase, especially if you're playing chaos. Um, and you, from there though, you move into shooting. So now is when you select all your guys to shoot with and, and you, you do the Daka Daka. That's where Daka Daka comes from. That's right. Uh, so it's pretty, pretty, um, I don't, I don't, I think we need, we need to get into the verbosity of these rules here. Uh, and then honestly, there's not a ton to it, but in general, you select your models and you select your targets and you shoot your guns based on the weapon profiles that are on your data sheets. Yep. That's right. And this is this is where if you've heard anybody, if you don't play 40K and you've heard anybody talk about buckets of dice, that's where this comes from. Yeah, this is where buckets of dice happens, especially when you've got mm-hmm. models that have like rapid fire where they each one is rolling two dice. And, you get, um, and there's 10 of them. <laughs> you get units that are shooting, you know, rolling 96 dice in one roll. Exactly. Yeah. So you got you get a bug, big bucket of dice and you roll it and you compare it against your ballistic skill. So if your ballistic skill is three plus, you roll your 96 dice and everything that's a three, four, five or six is a success. Right. Um, and this is the phase where you do that. If you're going along and you're reading the core rules here, it will explain to you what each of these type of weapons do now. So when we were talking about heavy weapons and rapid fire and grenades and pistols and things like that, this is where all of that comes into effect. Um, but there is a big change that we should talk about on page 17 and that is well, the last weapons. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Um, so I know this to be quite different from eighth ed. Yes. And we covered it in our episode we- where we talked about the reveal trailer. Yep. Um, but basically what it says is that blast weapons um, have a minimum of three attack. Like they always score three when they're going against six or plus models. And they always make the maximum number of attacks when they go up against 11 or more models. Um, so like when you see a blast weapon, it'll say something like grenade D six, right? Mm-hmm. And when you roll, you always roll that dice 
Um, and when you roll it, if you're looking at a, a unit that's one to five, you get the number of attacks that you roll. So if you roll a one, ah, oh crap, you threw that grenade in the wrong spot, right? But if you're going against a, 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 a unit that's between six and ten models, no matter what you roll, you're always going to get three. Always. So you'll get three whether or not you roll one, two, or three. And then you might get four, five, or six depending on what you roll. Mm-hmm. But if the unit is bigger than 11 models, you don't even have to roll the dice. You get the max. Right. Right. Because there's more people there, so you have a better chance of hitting them if you're tossing that grenade. Exactly. And right. so then then you're you're just rolling all the attacks rather than having to figure out how many attacks you get. Yeah, and this is a big change because I think in 8th edition, I, I want to say outside of flamers, just because the way the flamers work, I think blast weapons, for the most part, were just basically unused. Because well, it's a huge nerf. I mean, look at look at models, like really cool models like the Basilisk, which is a right. tank that has like giant artillery cannons on the back mm-hmm. of it. No one was using it because the weapons were ineffective. But now, right, because right, because if you shoot it into a big blob of cultist, you know, and you roll knows? that you roll that, that d six, and you roll that one. Yeah, right. You roll that one. Yeah, it just made no sense. Yep. Yeah, you're better off. You're better off having a weapon that guarantees you three. Shots. Yeah, you're better yeah. off taking a hurricane bolter every time. Yeah, yeah. I think even I think though the strength is, is lower. This rule, I think, is going to be more – it's not going to be as effective for things like with grenades, but I think it's going to be more effective for things like you said, basilisks, um, hell, uh, not the hell cannons. That's old Warhammer Fantasy. Um, whatever, the the defilers for chaos. Like the, the, those are the kind of things that are going to yeah, benefit your, from this your a lot more. Blades. Yes. Like big, big artillery Big stuff. guns. Yeah, so. big guns. And, and, the reason, and the thing that we should note here and why this is important is because these guns typically have much higher strength values. We haven't talked about what the strength value means yet because we haven't gotten to the whole hit, wound, save roll mechanic that's like the sort of core of 40K. Um, and we'll, we'll get to it. But in general, blast weapons have a higher strength value than almost any other weapon type. Right. I mean, so speaking of, of big guns, I mean, that is one thing we, we accidentally skipped over on page 16. Uh, another big change for those big tank guns are the new rule, big guns never tire. Mm, yeah, go over so, that. Um, so I know we, we, again, this is another rule I think we covered on a previous episode, but essentially what this rule does, uh, prior before tank, and so in 8th edition they added the rule that tanks could enter into combat, um, which wasn't something that they had before. But what happened is, is now you've got these tanks and locked into combat by, you know, a unit of quick, you know, termagants or whatever. And now that tank becomes ineffective. Now with big guns never tire, essentially these tanks can now shoot their weapons into an engagement range. So if you have that unit of termagants tying them up, those tanks can now protect themselves by shooting into those models that are in their, their, their effective range. Um, and as well as monsters and vehicles can target other units um while they're in the engagement range as well too but you have to subtract one uh from what from your ballistic skill every time you do that so that's another thing as well too so again the tanks can be tied up they can be destroyed but those tanks can still be now effective for the person that have been tied up however they wanted to be whether they want to shoot out of combat or they wanted to shoot into combat and clean up that unit that's tying them up so that's a big new rules change uh for ninth edition and good and those two rules combined means that tanks will be fielded again yes because in ninth in eighth edition we saw very much outside of probably troop transports uh tanks just really weren't used anymore yeah which is a shame because that's like the visual like aesthetic of 40k to me on the table mm-hmm. big old 
you know, land raiders and especially with certain factions too. I mean, like guard, like guard has always been, you know, a shit ton of dudes on the field backed up by massive tanks. And and as they've moved some of more of these old forge world tanks into plastic models into the 40k universe like the like like chop said the bane blade before like before there used to be a forge world only model like this is a beautiful looking world war ii-esque tank that is a big behemoth monster mamba jama on the battlefield and you just didn't see him anymore because they were just someone would again run up those quick moving units tie them up and boom now you that tank which would have blown the person off the field before is now ineffective Right. There's no reason. There's no reason why, like a swarm of scarabs, right, should stop a a land raider or a bane blade in its tracks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, it should just crush it. Like I understand the visual of them climbing over it and picking it apart. Yeah, but that should still be harder for them to do. They shouldn't just be like, "Oh no, I don't want to drive over that scarab bug." Thing. Yep. No, I agree. So I'm glad this rule's here. It's a very good rule change. Agreed. But now let's get into what I would consider the, the core mechanics. So we've talked over an hour and we haven't talked about the core mechanic of 40k yet, uh, but, but we're there in the rules now, right? Uh, and the, the core mechanic is a five-step process. And I, I don't know, dude, I think it's been like this since I started playing 40k in middle school, right? Um, so how this works is you roll to see if you hit. So you roll a dice, compare it to your ballistic skill value. We talked about that already, right? And so then you do your wound roll. This this just changed over time. But in ninth edition, it works basically the same as it worked in eighth edition, Mm -hmm. which is if the strength of your unit is twice the toughness of what you're shooting at, you need a two or better. If you're greater than the toughness, a three or better. If you're equal, a four or better. If you're lower, a five or better. And if you're half, six or better. So you roll a dice to see if you hit and then you you find out what your opponent's toughness is compared to your strength. You roll every hit again. And now everything that's exceeded your wound roll wounds your enemy, right? Uh, at this point, you allocate your attack. So if the attack successfully wounds, the player commanding the target unit to attack assigns the targets, I believe. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. So, if, like, Chops, if you're attacking me and you wound me, I get to pick which models are going to be wounded. Yep. Um, yep. And then you, and then that player makes their saving throws. So now they look at their SV or save value and it's the same as all these other values. So you'll have like a save four plus as an example. And then for every wound roll, now they roll a dice Mm -hmm. and every value that is lower than their save value inflicts damage. Yep. Uh, And then you take damage as casualties and remove the models once they loot their wounds are zero. Yeah, and so you have to the the big kicker that I think that they changed in eighth edition carrying over into ninth uh, was if uh, so prior to it I remember back in at least fourth and fifth you could move wounds around so if you had you multi, can't spread them around you can't spread them around anymore so if a model so if like if you have a terminator in the in that unit that's got two or three wounds I can't remember how many I think it's two the terminators have uh, if you put one wound on that terminator you can't go pick another terminator to put a wound on you have to remove whole models so you have to finish him off you have to finish him off before you start allocating wounds uh elsewhere and 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 so and and simply put right if you if you were to receive five wounds on a five man group of terminators you couldn't assign one wound to each terminator it's one two dead one two dead one correct um Mm -hmm. so yeah Yep, and that, I think that's actually a really good rule. <laughs> yeah, it um, makes sense, right? I mean, the guy that's getting hit is going to get die. hit. Yep. 
Yep. And so that is the core mechanic of 40k. There's a little bit of, of uh, um, a little bit of subtlety in that there are invulnerable. So there, in that, like you, you have weapons that affect saving throws through. Um, Boy, armor penetration, AP. Uh, But then you also have invulnerable saves, which are save values that cannot be affected by AP. And you also have mortal wounds. Yeah, so you have weapons that that generate mortal wounds, and those wounds don't get save throws. So if you hit and wound with something that does mortal wounds, then you just skip the saving throw and start allocating wounds. Correct. It's basically a giant mortar shell of like the size of a building landed on your dude. I'm sorry, nothing's going to save him. Yep. And then now also you have abilities that allow you to shake wounds or ignore them. Um, but a rule they've added, and this didn't start out in 8th edition, but was added in 8th edition, is that a model can only use one rule to shake each time. Correct. So if through buffs and built-in rules you acquire multiple rules that allow you to ignore wounds, you can only use one of them per yep. wound suffered. Yeah, I think I think armies like Gene Sorokult and... Uh... Blood Angels were like the big kickers on that one. I oh, mean, and, and Nurgle too. And Nurgle too. Death Guard, yeah. man. Yeah, Death Guard. That was the biggest. Yeah, Death Guard was the biggest one. Feel no pain. Yep. And then they had a lot of other stuff that allowed them they had, to shake. They wounds. had like psychic powers and stuff like that. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nurgle yep. was a big one. Yep. Yep. Cool. So that's that. And then once everybody has done the the rootin' tootin' shooting, uh, <laughs> uh. <laughs> You move into the next phase, right? The charging uh, phase. The charging phase. And so in the charge phase, it's just select unit from your army to charge. Uh, select the, the and then charge with that unit, right? And then you select another unit and then you just keep doing that until all the units that were going to charge are charged. Yeah. Uh, and it's basically you uh, declare the target and then you roll 2d6. And if the value there is is uh in inches enough that you can get into a half inch which is the engagement range then you move your models yep and i think i uh, for the most part i think honestly this phase of the game did not change, change at all uh the only thing that probably changed overwatch. is just overwatch overwatch but, is different uh, overwatch is only different in terms of the fact that it's now a stratagem instead of a core ability yeah um, and we don't need to talk about a whole lot of that. Like we don't need to talk about heroic. There's a, there's a lot of subtleties. I'll say it like heroic interventions, overwatching, flying, yeah. charging, all that stuff changes how charges work. But in, in general, the charge phase is when you go. So you move, you can do your basic move and then you can charge after that. Uh, and this affects how your models get into the next phase, which is the next big portion, which is the fight phase of the game. Um, and in the fight phase, um, you fight. <laughs> but the difference here is that in the shooting phase, where it's one-sided, in the fighting phase, uh, it, once the first fighting, so it's uh, the first fight happens, then it's back and forth, and the players are choosing who fights. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. So there. So what I like about it compared to older editions of the game is that it puts some strategy in in how you're choosing. Yeah, when when and where you choose the melee because you choose one and then your opponent chooses next, right? So right. it's kind of like if I fight like the and how that boils down, right? As, as if you're thinking about how this game works, it's like if I fight you and I don't kill all the models that are in that unit, you there's not a lot of uh reason for you to fight with that group next. <laughs> because you can just declare that fight for those guys later. 
Right. Uh, and you can move and try and fight someone that you that I can try to lower the strength of where you hit. So it's how you punch and counter punch. Uh, becomes and a I know and I know that dance. this that this doesn't help at all. But I know I was watching somebody on on YouTube talk about this, and they were saying that something's changed so that you can't necessarily get last and then first. Well, what it is is that like the, the the thing is that charging units always attack first. So if it's your turn and you charged, you always get the jump. Mm-hmm. But any models that are engaged from previous turns, it's fair game. You get to go. Okay. Does that make yeah, sense? that's that's how I rem- yeah that's how I remember it happening. Like yeah, I said, that's how I don't that's know. how it worked in Eighth Edition. Okay, I, like I said, I just remember hearing that, and I wasn't, I wasn't sure. Yeah, so if it's if it's turn one, what I you can actually kind of ignore what I just said because in turn one, right, if like I charge you and I get into three charges, you're going to be fighting back with the guys that like I just attacked you with every time because they'll be the only ones that are eligible to fight back mm-hmm. because charging units always fight first. Um, but melees in this game typically last longer than a turn. Right, um, unless you're fighting gene stealers, right, or <laughs> or you go up against the the armies that are specifically designed for combat. Your blood angels, your tyranids, your gene stealers, your custodians, your custodians, yeah. space wolves to an extent. I mean, yeah, cause, dude, custodians get in and tear shit up, dude. They're, oh yeah, they do. They're because they hit on twos on everything. They're gross in melee. Um, so yeah, so you select your targets, which is cool. The target selection, uh, is neat because that, that factors into the next, the morale phase a lot. Um, you select your weapon and you, and you, and it's much the same, right? You do your same hit wound save, just like you do in the shooting phase. And it even calls back to it, um, in here that you just follow that same, that same sort of, um, that do the hit roll, do the wound roll, do the save roll, allocate damage, and then remove units. Sounds right. Um, then you get into morale checks. So the morale phase is the last phase of the player turn. Um, and the morale phase is basically what you're doing is you're rolling a D six and adding the number of models that were destroyed that turn. Right. And if the morale exceeds the unit's leadership, one model flees and then the other models make attrition tests. Um, and then the attrition tests is for every additional model in the unit you roll and on a one, the model leaves much. It's basically the same, the same as a vehicle exploding, right? When you're disembarking. And I actually like that the, the mental math is the same, right? Like even though the check is different in a different phase, the consistency of the way that this sort of wounding is applied helps make the game more streamlined. Um, and I also like that it sort of controls the curve of morale tests. Right. So if you fail your morale test, you're always going to lose one, but you might not lose like a shitload, right? You always lose one, but then you roll a dice and it's sort of like up to the, the R and Jesus, whether or not you're going to lose a bunch more. Yeah. Um, and then also you subtract one from that D six roll if you're below half strength. So if you're below half strength, you run on ones or twos. So as you lose more, your guys get scareder. Yep. <laughs> it makes sense. More scared. Yeah. So that's that's how that works. And then you check for coherency, and then any models that are out of coherency die. <laughs> so that's pretty cool. I think that actually they added that into eighth edition too, but that is spicy. It makes it so that you really need to be careful about how you spread your units out. Um, but that's 40k, right? 
like outside of this is just talking about missions and there's only one mission that they give you in in here we should talk about it a little bit um but did you guys have anything else you wanted to add to the like core back and forth of how 40k works uh it's it's i was thinking about this earlier and you know we always talk about you go or, or alternating activation games but it it definitely changes your mindset when you're playing something that is uh, you go, I go, and and how you have to approach it. Mm-hmm. Oh, totally. I and I, I think the balance here is that like um, the way that the hit wound save works is that even though weapons feel really scary and it feels like you might lose full units in one round of shooting, that's not always the case. I mean, it can happen, right? Like you yep. can have full units just deleted, but like really the way that the math works out is that that's just not how the game works, even though it feels like that's might be how it works. Generally, most things can survive the first hit. Right. Um, yep. Not always. Right. But some, I'd say, you know, like at least half the time. Um, but yeah, it does change. It very much changes how you go about playing the game. I don't know that I love it to be honest. Um, yeah. I'm, yeah. I mean, I'm not saying it's, it's better or worse. I'm just, I'm just, I was just thinking about the different perspective you have to have and approach to the game that you have to have in that situation. Yeah. yeah. It's a different mindset. I mean, I think the reason why for me, at least the, the reason why I like alternate activation games so much is because I feel like I'm always involved uh, yes. that, that's why I like it the most. Like I'm not sitting in, I'm not bored, you know, um, we, with the exception of infinity with, I go, you go, there are times where you're just sitting there. I mean, I remember many times playing in tournaments with war machine and just being very bored because until it comes to the point where it's either resolving the enemies, you know, my opponent's shooting or their combat phase, I'm not doing anything. You're you know, just so, yeah, watching them roll dice and asking them how many models do I pick up? Right. How so many like ten, models do I pick up? Right. So like 10, <laughs> ten fifteen sucks. minutes, I'm sitting there doing nothing. You yeah. know, whereas it's like in I go with alternate activations, you know, but to Paul's point, um, with the I go you go part of you sitting there and watching what your opponent's doing is going you planning your next steps in terms of what you're going to do in your next phase so there is something to say about that with the strategic value of it of allowing you to have that time to spend and strategize and and plan accordingly based on what's happening so you know if if you you always everybody goes in with the battle plan or sometimes not everybody you know not me um goes in with the (laughs) battle plan of like what they're planning to do in that game um you know and then you're able to adjust I think a little bit more tactically because you have time to think about it. Whereas an alternating activation, sometimes you've got your battle plan and then shit goes awry and like you have to, you have to change right then and there. Whereas like in the uh, alternate activations, you get some time to plan. You, you get to see how things worked out and you get some time to think about it. So there is the difference between the two. And so there is a different mindset as Paul was saying to, to it. Yeah, because when I was playing War Machine all the time, I was always thinking mm-hmm. on my opponent's turn. Right. I was always going, okay, I've lost these guys. How can I get done what they were going to do with somebody else? Correct. Or what else do I have to focus on now? So so it if you're if you're not doing anything on your opponent's turn, um it you should be. <laughs> right. Here. All right. And then after that, we'll just talk about how this works. The mission that's in this game the, in the core rules, which is only war. 
Uh, only war is an, ob an objective-based scenario. You have four objectives. Uh, at the end of four turns, the player who controls the most victory points is the winner. So the person who did the best standing on the buttons. Um, and you play at either, essentially, they, they're looking at it in terms of power levels, 50 power, 100 power, 200 power, 300 power. Um, and they give you the size of the battlefields they recommend. Um, so really, it's a it's a it, the standard size game that the 200 uh, power level, um, you know, like 80 to 100 models for most armies, maybe like we'll, we'll, we'll just call it 60 to 100 models so that it covers more of the range of the game. Um, three ish hours to play. And you've got four objective points that you're trying to control through the game going back and forth across five turns. Um, and that's the core scenario. Now there obviously will be more scenarios in the book. We've actually already seen that there is coming out with, uh, with the edition, uh, later this month, a pack of cards that allows you to randomize deployment zones and models or deployment zones, victory conditions, and sort of like twisty type stuff. Um, yeah, I like those like weather effects. Yeah. The, the war cards are great. Yeah. The, um, what was it? Open war. I think open great. war. Yeah. yeah. I really enjoyed those in Sigmar. Yeah, and those come out. Those are coming out with the game on the twenty fifth or whatever day it is. So there will be more missions available. But you know, this for what it is like to get someone playing. I think everything is here, and for what it's worth, honestly, it's fine, right? Because you look at combat that that combat patrol, that fifty power level army. That's generally a start collecting box. Um, so generally, you I mean you download this on the internet and you spend ninety bucks at your uh at your friendly local game store and spend the time putting those models together, you can play an hour long game on a smaller table uh, and get the feel for 40 K, which is yep. fine, right? Your, your first hits cheaper, <laughs> uh, but the game obviously <laughs> gets much more expensive. Um, now, whether or not this game is for me, I'll wait to talk about a little bit next week. I'll say that, uh, you know, as a little bit of a spoiler that I think I like grim dark future a little bit more uh, for reasons that we'll go into next week. Um, but I do think that Games Workshop's done a good job um, as sort of the like vanguard of the hobby. I'm proud of what they've done. Like, I, I really like this. And I, I would while I don't think a person that's getting into the hobby should spend their whole hobby playing 40K, I think that's frustrating to me when a person just won't play other games. I think 40K is actually a pretty good first game. Um, and I think these rules are very well written for what they are. Yep. So, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I think they're they're pretty good. They're pretty succinct. It, it does a better job than the four-page rules or the eight-page rules. Oh, yeah. Much um, And GW didn't embarrass themselves by including mustache length as a as a <laughs> gameplay mechanic. Man, that first um, edition of Age of Sigmar was a fucking mess. Yeah, it was. <sighs> yeah. Uh, I'll never... I'll, yeah, anyway. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so they, they've, they've come back around from, from trying to be goofy about it and, and make it make sense. Um, so I, th I think they've done a pretty good job with this. Um, I do, I'm, I'm a big fan of the, the two rule writing style. Yeah, it, it definitely feels like it's, it's, this book is now written for both. I think they're, they're target demographics. I think it's, it's now written for their competitive players, as well as people like us that are going to be more casual people that are just going to play every now and then kind of 40k players. Um, or your hobbyist or, or people that just want to do narrative or something light and breezy. They don't want to play in that competitive area. So I, I think they've done a really good job of, of writing the book in ways that both of those players can utilize the book uh, effectively. Yep. Sounds right. 
All right, guys, we did it. We talked about 40k in a in a real way. Yeah, yeah. Look at yeah. us. We're adults, except for yeah. Paul snickering about euphemisms. How um, could I not? <laughs> We want to extend a big welcome to all of our patrons. Uh, we have three new patrons that have signed up since the last time we have gotten together and recorded. Um, so we want to send a big thank you out to Casey, Wookie Gunner, and N. Stephen H. for joining us. Um, and we're glad to have you on board. Uh, make sure you make sure you get in on on the Discord and take advantage of everything that we have there. Um, and we'll see you in all those top super secret patron things we do. <laughs> and uh, th- thank you. Um, thank you for uh, the music, Static is a City. Uh, we appreciate that. Uh, join our Discord because it's awesome. Even if you're not a patron, come join. We don't care. We just like talking games with you. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Follow us on social media. We're on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook. You can find us there. It's at Three Men in a War Game. Uh, usually the number, not the word. And we post all those pictures of those really gross things that Kevin paints. And that's about it for now. We will uh, see you in when it's grimmer, darkier. Bye. Something. The future. Darkness. I don't know. I got nothing. War is only the... Grimdark. <laughs> <laughs> Y'all are on something. Yeah, because we're it's grimmest and darkest.